What does the perfect workspace look like for a hacker? A kind of office utopia for the cybercriminal underworld. Would it take a cue from one of those Google offices people are always talking about? You know, the ones with hammocks everywhere, beer on tap, gaming rooms, and lots of cafeterias? It'd be a cavernous place for mingling, sharing of ideas, and maybe it would even give birth to an unexpected project, a sort of we work space on steroids. In 2021, a hacking group called Hive decided to turn this dream into a reality. They turned their operation into the cybercrime we work, like colleagues in crime that all exist in this umbrella space of Hive. This is Jaliski Bohuslavsky. He goes by Eli. And he knows a lot about Hive because he secretly spent months lurking in their virtual corridors. He's a security researcher who does this kind of thing a lot. And what he saw inside Hive actually surprised him. He could see elite cyber criminals just hanging out, bouncing ideas off each other. They seemed to be actually professionalizing ransomware. They were hosting the space with a dashboard, with chats, with communications, with negotiations handled by only a few people. And collectives from different groups were coming to Hive, not as their direct subordinates, but rather just like colleagues in crime. They wanted to create a more efficient supply chain to use a rotating cast of hackers with specialized skills who could then come together for some epic attack. You're good at breaking into a network? You go first. Then pass it along to Vladimir, who is great at data encryption. Alexei, he'll negotiate the ransom payment. And then, at the end of the line, voila, you have yourself a very successful ransomware attack. And since what appears to motivate hackers most is cold, hard cash, the enticement to join was that a team of elite hackers would end up making much more money in much less time than any one person or group could do individually. So maybe a hacker utopia doesn't look exactly like a Google office, no hammocks at the hive. Maybe their utopia looked more like a bank vault, a bank vault full of money. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, we take stock of a failed utopia. We'll learn how Hive operated and why its members were so optimistic and clung so zealously to their vision of a hacker ideal. And why, like so many utopias before it, it led to their undoing. There's humans behind this. And whether they're bank robbers or terrorists or cyber criminals, they're humans. And humans make mistakes. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Politics has never been stranger or more online. 
which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Eli Bohuslavsky and his colleagues slipped into Hive's workspace and logged onto its dashboard back in 2021. My team and I were able to get to their first panel. And since then, we became advancing through their infrastructure. Very slowly, though. Everything they wanted to know was encapsulated in a very easy point-and-click blue and orange screen, the panel. It included a friendly news feed, a chat room, a help desk, a running list of potential targets, who's paid, who hasn't, private virtual conference rooms. Hive wanted everyone who worked with them to feel like they were part of something bigger, to feel utterly at home on the inside of Hive, right down to the language that welcomed them when they signed on. It had two versions. Actually, one was English. The other one was uh, in Russian, of course. A lot of ransomware groups are Russian-speaking. The Hive administrators seemed to put a lot of thought into how they laid it all out. They even had a logo. Hive had a very clear branding. They had this, like, beehive kind of stylistics. (laughs) Yeah, it was like yellow with the hexagons. uh, Quite remarkable. And, maybe more remarkable... They weren't just concerned about their members' experience. If you were one of Hive's more than 1,500 ransomware victims, they wanted to make your user experience pleasant as well. That's why it was very simple. If they locked up your system, the ransom note included a very helpful username and password. Type it into your computer, and it takes you to a screen where you can just click on a button for a live chat with the attackers. There's a file upload system, And if you've decided to succumb to their ransom demand, there's a link to Hive's de-encryption software. Congratulations, it reads. You've made the right choice. Please feel free to contact us if you need any further information. And for a while, this little kernel of an idea they had about an elite crew taking the world by storm really seemed to be working. And for a couple of years, in 2021 and 2022, Nearly every week seemed to bring news of a fresh Hive attack. A hacking group known as Hive claims to have stolen personal information from Norman Public Schools. From schools, hospitals, and financial firms, the Department of Justice says Hive has targeted more than 1,500 entities in over 80 countries. COVID was raging at the time, so they took advantage of the chaos and started zeroing in on healthcare facilities. Their business calculation? the world's overstretched hospitals would be more likely to just pay a ransom, no questions asked, so they could concentrate on the pandemic. And Hive was right. The head of Memorial Health System admits the cyber attack could not have come at a worse time. At least five U.S. hospitals were reportedly hit with ransomware attacks last week, and that hacking could hurt patient care just as nationwide cases of COVID-19 are spiking. But there were some things they miscalculated. For example... Hive figured that if they shared their virtual co-working space with elite hackers, they'd avoid all the problems you run into when you share your locker or ransomware with any old hacker. So instead of giving the access to the locker to some random guy in Belarus, they would give it to a collective that has been working together for years. But what was also true was anytime you bring that many people together for a job, things happen. 
they forgot to factor in an underlying truism in the hacker world, that this was a group of mostly men who were very good at extorting money and not so great at assessing people. And that's what's next. Stay with us. Blockchain, NFTs, AI. What does this mean for you and me? I'm Sherelle Dorsey, host of the TED Tech Podcast, where we bring you the latest innovations and biggest ideas in tech. Tech is evolving fast and it affects our lives, from the metaverse to the watches on our wrists. You'll learn why people in AI make good business partners, about our future self-driving robo-taxi, what the next generation of Siri, Alexa, Google looks like, and a lot more. Find TED Tech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. By 2022, Hive had raked in some $100 million in ransom payments. And while they were right about what a skilled hacking team could accomplish, they hadn't factored in what happened when you put those elite hackers in a virtual room together. Specifically, egos clashed. So it wasn't too surprising that some group would decide that they should be in charge instead of Hive. And that's what happened when they started working with a crew called Conti, one of the most professional and active ransomware organizations on the planet. Conti Ransomware Gang has become notorious. There's been some developments around the Conti Ransomware Group. They had salaried employees, vacation policies, HR. So bringing these two massive hacker collectives together was quite an undertaking. Think of it as Wendy's joining forces with Burger King. Burger King, yay! And at first, they played nicely together. And to belabor the metaphor, they essentially agreed to serve both Whoppers and the Dave's Triple. Customers could have both shakes and Frosties. And they deployed people in a way that focused on their strengths, not on their affiliation to any one group. But then, sometime in very early 2022... We could kind of say that Conti consumed Hive, which is very typical for Conti. They really, like hostile adversarial acquisition of, of the ransomware space. <laughs> a hostile takeover. <laughs> yes, hostile takeover. Conti was very known for that, and uh, they're still doing that. It's uh, definitely a part of their MO. Eli could see all this. He could see that Hive administrators were still controlling their dashboard, but the Conti crew seemed to be using Hive's ransomware and, according to Eli, did not appear to be paying Hive for it. Typically, groups that rent out their ransomware get a cut of the ransoms collected. So you can imagine, Hive was not happy about Conti making itself this much at home. It was clear they had uh, a lot of clashes with the leadership of Hive. You know, like the relationship were tensed after the takeover. Rumors started flying. And uh, they were actually suggesting that the leader of Hive was working with the FBI, kind of like sabotaging the entire thing. Turns out they weren't totally wrong about the FBI being around, but we'll get to that in a minute. What's important to know now is that the Hive-Conti power struggle kind of resolved itself in the most unexpected way. Overnight, the lives of millions of people in Ukraine changed forever. The Russian invasion of Ukraine. Conti took a side in the war, and they sided with Moscow. It soon came out that they appeared to have really close ties to the Kremlin, which, to put it mildly, made Conti very unpopular. 
suddenly people just refused to do business with them. And a lot of companies just stopped paying them ransoms. Which is an existential problem if you're a ransomware gay. And the way Conti got around that? Well, they found a partner, someone who agreed to route their payments. Someone they'd already been working with. That's right, Hive. It appears Conti went back to Hive's leaders and said, I imagine, we've got a ton of unfinished ransomware business out there. Mind if we just divert it through you? We started to see a lot of former Conti victims being dumped on the Hive's website in order to force those victims to pay. It was hard to know where Hive ended and Conti began. But most cybersecurity analysts say that Conti had gotten the better of Hive, taking it over from the inside. But that's not what took Hive down. What spelled its demise had nothing to do with power struggles or clashing egos. It was a rookie mistake. When they brought all those famous hackers together, it got them noticed. Not just by people like Eli, who were able to sneak into their systems, but people with blue windbreakers with three letters on the back. People like Mike McPherson of the FBI. The way the FBI does it is uh, whatever the first office that comes across a new strain of ransomware, a new type of ransomware, that office will effectively own that investigation. So Mike was the special agent in charge of the FBI's Tampa office. And he was part of a law enforcement crew that started undermining Hive from the inside. They'd slipped into their network, and then they could see what Hive was up to. We're able to see who the victims were, too. If we can go to the victims and say, you have, you know, um, you know, you the, the Hive, yeah, you have a problem on your network, and we tell them what to go look for. They'd have their cybersecurity officers look and then push Hive out of their networks before the group even had a chance to lock them up. So the FBI prevented those attacks. For anyone already in the throes of a ransomware negotiation with the group, the FBI had a solution for that too. Since it had access to Hive's panel, they could see a full list of victims. So they just worked their way down the list and actually generated decryption keys for hundreds of them. Each victim has a unique decryptor for them. This is Brian Smith. He's in charge of the FBI's cyber crimes unit. And in Hive, what we were able to do was actually generate the decryptor for that particular victim and then provided it to them if they wanted it. So you didn't pull it out of Hive? Correct. We created it. Wow. So one by one, the FBI created keys and then sent them to Hive's victims or the authorities in other countries. And then, after getting the FBI's decryption key, victims would mysteriously tell Hive to, well, buzz off. We're not giving you any money. Which meant that the ransoms that kept Hive's operation humming started to dry up. And we recognized that this was a unique opportunity that we had in order to make victims whole uh, and prevent payments by them at scale. According to FBI and DOJ estimates, the operation ended up thwarting more than $130 million in ransom payments. And then, in January... Good morning. The I'm FBI went in and Attorney took the General whole operation Somalia. down. We are here to announce that last night... The Justice Department dismantled an international ransomware network known as the Hive Ransomware Group, responsible for extorting and attempting This to is Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing that the authorities had broken into the group's servers, dismantled its infrastructure, and, well, ended them. Hive's utopian pretensions ran headlong into earthly realities. And you'd think the Hive members would be upset, vowing revenge, shaking fists in the air, 
but they had a really different reaction. Uh, overall, the median reaction was positive, and they actually reacted to that with joy, which was really surprising to me. There was so much infighting, the breakup came as something of a relief. Hive had wrapped itself in the gauzy rhetoric of some sort of hacker utopia. But Eli said, even though it failed, it wasn't an empty exercise. There was general cybercrime community that kind of said, this is a lesson to us, and this is a reminder to be more careful. So there was some positivity here. After all, while the online community was taken down, no Hive administrators were actually arrested. The admins are believed to be in Russia, so the FBI couldn't get to them. So instead, it seems everyone involved walked away a little wiser. Is, is Hive really dead? Hive as a brand is dead. Uh, that being said, today, uh, ransomware is centered around skill rather than branding. So I could imagine the top employees, the top operatives of Hive, they would keep operating. And keep tinkering with this ransomware business model until they get it right. This is Click Here. some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Researchers on Cisco's Talos Threat Intelligence team warned this week that rookie hackers have been incorporating some of the most advanced features in their cyber attacks thanks to a new tool. It's known as phishing as a service. Just like the ransomware and access as a service operations that have grown up before it, phishing as a service operations like the one called Greatness are behind some of the spikes in cyber attacks recently. They said greatness has almost exclusively been used to target companies rather than government organizations. On Tuesday, Microsoft released a new fix for a vulnerability that Ukrainian cybersecurity officials spotted in its Outlook email service. Microsoft Threat Intelligence said that a Russian-based threat actor used the exploit in targeted attacks against a limited number of organizations in government, transportation, energy, and military sectors in Europe. The vulnerability was patched last March, but attackers found a way around it. Now, apparently, that's been fixed. And finally, hackers infiltrated networks at at least two colleges this month, disrupting the school year just before final exams and commencement ceremonies. The attacks targeted Tennessee's Chattanooga State Community College and Mercer University. While no one has taken responsibility for the attacks, Chattanooga had to shut down its systems over the weekend And Mercer University said some sensitive student, parent, and employee information was stolen, though they were quick to add no personal financial data was affected. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and I'm the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer. Sarah Wyman is our writer-reporter. And this show was mastered by Gabriella Glitt. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski. Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. 
And our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts or send us an email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com. Check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.